Hello, I'm Stephen Groom. Welcome to Let God Speak. While some Christians today believe the Old Testament has no authority or relevance for them, Jesus and the other New Testament authors use the Old Testament as authority for their life, actions and teachings, affirming that the scriptures, that is the Old Testament, must be fulfilled. Mark 14, 49. The Old Testament, including Deuteronomy, was quoted or alluded to mostly by the Gospel writers and the Apostle Paul. Therefore, the Old Testament has authority for us as well. Please join us today for this important study. On our panel today, we have Morgan Vincent and Rod Butler. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Before we begin our study, let us have a word in prayer. Let's bow with our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us to understand how the Old New Testament authors quoted and accepted the Old Testament authors as being inspired so that we too may uphold the authority of Deuteronomy and the Old Testament as being guides for our own lives. And we ask this in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. Amen. Let us begin our study in Matthew chapter 4. So we in the temptation in the wilderness and we see how Jesus uh, gave authority to the Old Testament books and uh, Deuteronomy in particular in his battle against Satan in the wilderness temptation. But before that, I'd just like to give a little bit of a background. In the previous chapter three, Jesus had been uh, baptized by John the Baptist. And the final verse tells us that um, of chapter three, that God the Father witnessed to Jesus and a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights um, fasting and then he Then the devil came to him and said to him, If you be the Son of God, command that these stones be made to bread. Alluding to the manna in the the wilderness when the children of Israel were traveling through and God gave the the miracle of the manna for them to eat. But that first word, if you be the Son of God, was a temptation for Jesus to... um, to doubt the Father's words from heaven that he was the Son of God. But how did Jesus respond to this, Morgan? Mm. We, we find that Jesus answers um, directly by, by stating in verse 4 here, he says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And here, Jesus, he upholds the inspiration of Deuteronomy. Uh, he, he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8, uh, in verse three, which which quotes this, and as you said earlier, Stephen, that for all those years in the wilderness that God gave them manna, now Jesus is saying it's what comes from God's mouth, His words, which are important for for Him and for for us today as well. So life comes from God's mouth, mm. not necessarily from the food we eat. Mm. That's most important, mm. isn't it? Mm. Then we come to the second temptation in verses five and six. 
Satan takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the, of the Jerusalem temple and tells him to throw himself down and then quotes scripture, Psalms 91, verses 11 and 12. And, and it says this, that he, God, shall give his angels charge concerning you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest at any time you dash your foot against a rock. So here we see even Satan quoting scripture. But Rod, um, is there anything wrong with the way he quoted scripture? Well, he's certainly quoting scripture, but he's quoting it carelessly. Let's just go back and look at Psalm uh, 91 and read verse 11. And it says, For he shall give his angels charge over thee, which you read, to keep thee in all thy ways, which Satan didn't read. Mm. And that's pretty important because God keeps us if we keep in his ways, if we follow his will, we're obedient to his requirements. If we do what we can to follow the way God wants us to, yes, can we, we can expect God's protection. Satan leaving that out was very, very uh, pivotal. And um, he was encouraging, not encouraging, but if we put ourselves deliberately in danger, we can't presump presumptuously ask for protection. And this highlights also too that um, we should take a leaf out of the Bereans book because whatever they were told, they went and checked from the scriptures directly. Yes. And that's what we should do because people can misquote it from time to time. Yes, and, and, and on that, that's very important. Remembering that Satan and probably his, his people can quote scripture as well. That's very important. And so on that point, um, what, how is this relevant for us in the 21st century, Morgan? Mm, it's, it's hugely relevant because... Uh, there, we, if we want to represent God in this world, uh, we need to know our Bibles and, and not just pieces of information here and there, but we need to, to quote it correctly as well. Another key point is context as well. You know, it, it's very easy to just pull Bible verses out of context to say something that the authors never intended. And this brings to mind a verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, and I'll read it here, and it says... Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. And this is it here, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we need to do it rightly, which also means that there can be a wrong way to, yeah. to divide the word of truth as well. So, yeah, we don't want to be twisting God's word to suit our own agenda. So to do this, to be mature in the faith, we really need to spend time in the mm. word to get a mature. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, the reason why there's so many understandings of the Bible and denominations is because so many people don't know the Bible very well. Is that true? Coming back to the second temptation in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, um, we've looked at how Satan misquoted Psalms 91 to Jesus. Mm. Um, does the tempter deceive Jesus, Rod? No, Jesus knows his Bible. He doesn't deceive Jesus. Mm -hmm. oh, you probably answered Morgan's question. I was going to ask Morgan, <laughs> why wasn't yeah. he deceived? It's true. It, it, it's, he, it's so clear that Jesus, he knows his Bible. Uh, you know, he knows the scriptures. He knows what Moses and the other prophets have written about. And here, Jesus has become familiar with this. And, and, and we know from the gospel accounts that he was learning from a young child. You know, as he grew up, he, he increased in <clears throat> wisdom and in stature as well. And, and that means for us to, to be acquainted with the Bible as well. You know, we need the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit guided Jesus to know the truth. And it reminds me of a verse in, in Acts chapter 5 and verse 32. 
here speaking of the importance of the Holy Spirit. Uh, It says in the Bible, and we are witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him, as Rod was alluding to earlier. And and so this these three temptations are really a summary of how Satan tempts everybody. So it Mm -hmm. does show their importance to each one of us as well. That's why it's in the Bible. Um, So coming to this temptation, the second one, how did Jesus respond to this uh, request to throw himself off the pinnacle of the temple? Well, he actually he uses the Old Testament and he refers back to Deuteronomy uh, 6 and verse 16. And I've got that here. I'll just read it. It says, "Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him in Massa. Now, it's interesting, the incident that Jesus is referring to here, um, back in Exodus, the children of Israel had just come out of Egypt. They've been through the Red Sea and they're, they're in the wilderness heading towards Mount Sinai. In chapter 16 of Exodus, uh, they get given the manna. So God is miraculously feeding them every day with food. Mm. Then in Exodus 17, they suddenly run out of water and they start tempting God by saying, give us water to drink. Mm. Yeah. And uh, this is more than a request. They're tempting him. And basically that, that place was called Massa. And Jesus is referring to that, um, that we shouldn't tempt God as the children of Israel tempted God yes. back then. Yeah. Mm. Very important. So God provides our living and we should not um, be dissatisfied or grumble or complain. Let's go to the third temptation. The tempter takes Jesus um, in verse eight to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And then what did the tempter say to to Jesus? Morgan. Yeah, and I'll read uh, Stephen in verse 9, Matthew 4 and verse 9. He said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And so here there's this, you know, this element of doubt, this this condition of, okay, if you do this for me, I'll give this to you. I mean, it's crazy to think that Satan here even had any right to say, well, I've I've got the authority to, you know, to kind of do this. And but Jesus knows his identity and here, Jesus does this and he again responds with scripture. Yes. So, Rod, how did he respond? Well, once again, he refers back to uh, Deuteronomy. Mm. And this time he's referring to verse 13 of chapter 6 and verse 13, which I've got open here. And he says, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. And this was important too because... Um, this, this indicates that this blasphemous request, um, the Israelites had been in Egypt, um, which would steep with idolatry, and uh, they knew all about idolatry. Mm. So this particular request was very important to them because it was a warning about idolatry for themselves. And of course, Christ refers to this because what Satan's asking Jesus to do is basically blasphemy, and it's also worshiping another God. Yes. Mm. The creature was asking worship from the creator. Mm. Yeah. So thanks for that. So now we're looking at the authority of the Old Testament in in the New Testament um, people, and especially Jesus at this point. Let us fast forward to three days after Jesus' resurrection. In Luke 24, verse 3, 13, sorry, onwards, where Jesus met two disciples on the way to Emmaus. Um, 
who didn't recognize Jesus at the time, amazingly. And Jesus started to walk beside them. And he says, why are you looking so sad? And they said that the one we thought was to be the Messiah um, was crucified. So they had a misunderstanding Mm. of the role of the Messiah. How did Jesus um, correct their misunderstandings, Morgan? Did he commit a, a, a miracle in front of them to show them who he was? What did he do? Yeah, we, we could have thought, well, Jesus, now's it probably a good time to perform the miracle, but he doesn't do that, and, and for very good reason. And, and we're going to see this because what Jesus does in verse 27, uh, Luke chapter 24 and verse 27, it says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded. In other words, he explained to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus takes these people on a Bible study, if you will. He begins with Moses. He begins with the writings of Moses and all of what the prophets have said. And, and here Jesus wants these two, uh, these two men to have the scriptures as the foundation of their experience. Yes, and, and I'm, I always think it was a shame that that Bible study is not put in our Bible. That mm. would have been one amazing Bible study. Mm. Well, one, one thing for sure, from where he was walking to Emmaus was several hours walk. That mm. would have been a long Bible study. Yes. But I find it interesting that he didn't reveal, Jesus didn't reveal his identity. Jesus was very focused. He wanted them to get their faith from the scriptures, not from a miracle, but from the scriptures. And that's very important today, isn't it? Because there's a yep. lot of so-called miracles happening in the world today. Yeah. Yep. So let's move on to Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verses 17 to 19. Um, What does it say, Rod? Well, um, I can read this, Deuteronomy 10 and verses 17 to 19. It says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible, which regardeth not persons nor taketh reward. He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and widow and loveth the stranger in giving him food and raiment. Love ye therefore the stranger, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Now, just going back to verse 17, it's interesting. He says, regardeth not persons. Some versions say shows no partiality. And that's really important because in the context here, uh, in the Hebrew world, does not lift up faces. Doesn't lift up faces in the in the court system. The judge could make a determination based on who's sitting there. Were they were they wealthy? Were they influential? What sort of person were they? Yes. This says that God's not like that. It doesn't matter who you are, you can be poor, you can be rich, you can be a mover and a shaker, an influencer. You're all the same in terms of God's requirements. And God makes it very clear what is required from us. In verse 12, it says, And now Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Mm. That's all God requires. Yes. All our devotion and we can expect total impartiality. As you love your neighbour as yourself. As yourself. So then yep. they would all be equal. Mm. Exactly, yes. yep. So this passage that you've just um, read to us, Rod, was quoted by three New Testament authors, being Luke, Peter and Paul, um, by Paul in four of his books. So Morgan, how did Luke use um, 
Deuteronomy 10, 17 to 19, first of all, in Acts 10, verse 34, mm. because Luke was the author of Acts as well as Luke. Sure, sure. So Cornelius, in this chapter, Cornelius, he's given a vision, and I'll just quickly read that. In Acts chapter 10, verses 3 to 6, the Bible says, And about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, in verse 4, And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your arms have come up uh, for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon, a tenor, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And so here, it's a message which includes uh, the Apostle Peter. God is showing here by, by, this, by this vision uh, that there's no partiality. Yes. Jew, Gentile, or in other words, Jew and non-Jew, it, 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 it's righteousness is for... Which all. was hard for Jews, including the apostles, because up until that time, they had the preeminence according mm. to God's favour in their thoughts, didn't mm. they? It was something... Um... So, Rod, how does Paul use these texts of Deuteronomy chapter 10 in two of his biblical books? As an example, there were four, but we've only got time for two. Well, just the two that I've, I can reference here. I know that in Ephesians, in Ephesians 6, in Ephesians 6 verses 5 to 9, he talks about uh, slaves and their masters, because, of course, the Roman world, there was lots of slaves around. And he talks about slaves to, to respect their masters, to do the right thing, um, because also their master is a child of God, and the masters to respect the slaves and to treat them fairly. Yes. So... Back then, obviously, if you're a master and you're a slave, the relationship was power versus the oppressed, more to, so to speak. But in this particular case, Paul's saying, treat everybody equal. You're all children of God, whether you're a slave, whether you're a master. Mm. And then when you come to another reference in Romans, another book Paul uh, wrote, in Romans chapter 2 and verse 11, he talks about that um, with God there is no respect of persons. Yes. And... Uh, that's important too, because whether we're Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter what we are, we're all saved by grace. Um, there's nothing we can do for our salvation. No. It's faith in Christ. in Christ. Doesn't matter who we are, we all have the same opportunity for salvation. Yes. Very important. And isn't that comforting to know? I don't know about you, but I find yeah. that comforting that we're all on the same equal ground. Yeah. Mm. Um, moving on to Galatians uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. Um, how do many people think these texts are saying what, Morgan? And I'll, I'll read the key text. We haven't got time to read them all. Verse 10. Verse 10 says, For as many are as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Mm. And on, under that context, how do most people interpret that? Mm. It, it can be a common understanding that uh, here Paul is, is referring to uh, some kind of a justification or a right standing with God that comes, um, you know, from, from, from keeping the law. But here, you know, the argument can be refined or narrowed down to as a reason to not keep the fourth commandment, referring to the Sabbath, you know, as, a, as if keeping this one commandment is somehow better or greater than... Is the works of the law. Yeah, as, as opposed to the other nine, right? And so Paul here is dealing with this kind of expression of legalism that, that was creeping into the, the Galatian church. Yeah, and this wasn't true, was it? 
No. He wasn't trying to do away with the law. So if Paul was not trying to do away with the law here, what was he trying to communicate to us in these texts, Rod? Well, he was trying to communicate in these texts that basically we're all saved by faith in Christ. Mm. Um, we all have an obligation to, to be obedient to the law, but it's not the law that saves us. Yes. And uh, Paul goes through that. And it's interesting that Paul refers back in two, from verses 1 to verse 14, in two areas, he refers back to Deuteronomy again. Again, he's referring back yes. to the Old Testament. And Deuteronomy in particular. Yeah, and the first one is in verse 10. It says here, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in the things which are written in the book. That's a reference back to Deuteronomy 27 and verse 26, which says that we must all be obedient. We must all keep the law of Moses. Back then it was the law of Moses. Yes. Must keep the law. So we have an obligation to keep the law, but that's not what saves us. Yes. And then we move on to uh, Galatians uh, in verse 13, and it says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Now this is interesting because that refers back to Deuteronomy 21 verse 23, where it says that, it, you can actually die if you violate the law back then. And if you committed a capital offence, you could be hung on a tree, you could be impaled. Yes. Um, but you weren't to be left overnight on the tree, you'd be brought down. Yes. And it's interesting that Paul is using this to point out that Christ himself mm. became our curse. He yeah. took all the, our sins from breaking the law and he became a curse and hung on a tree. But interesting that he wasn't kept overnight. Yes. So it's... Yeah. Again, Paul is referring back to the Old Testament yes. to make his points to the New Testament. And, and I can begin to see how the New Testament takes new meaning or deeper meaning when you research back to the original text. And, I've, and in scholarship, it's called intertextuality. Yeah. Um, but some, some people say, oh, I'm a New Testament Christian. Yeah. It defies me how you can get a lot of the meaning from the New Testament without yes. knowing the Old Testament, exactly. because that's where you get the context. Exactly. And on this uh, point, Morgan, how should we respond to the point that Christ bore the punishment for us? Mm. In a word, grateful, thankful. Grateful. You know, here, here in, uh, I'll read a quick text in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 15. Here, as Paul's making his case of, of God's incredible grace toward us, in the gift of Christ, he says in verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So with, with thankfulness, with gratefulness, we can uh, respond to, to this. Yes. Good. Thank you. Let us now go back again once more to Deuteronomy um, chapter 18, verse 15 to 18. I want to read us, read it to us what Moses is telling us here. It says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear according to all that you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. And he repeats this verse again. He says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak them all that I command him. So what is Moses telling them here, Rod? Well, he's, he's again, firstly, a bit of context. Um, 
he's referring back to Exodus. Yes. And he's referring back to just after the Ten Commandments were given. And if you remember that, the, uh, the Mount Sinai was on fire. There was thunder. There was lightning. It was rumbling. The people, frankly, were terrified. They saw the majesty of God and they were frightened. Yes. They were so frightened, in fact, they said, Moses, would you please you know, speak for us? Otherwise, we'll die. Mm. So they requested that Moses be their intercessor. Yep. And here we have now in Deuteronomy where Moses is prophesying. And he's yep. prophesying like you made, you asked me to be your intercessor yep. between you and God. Yes. He's saying that God will raise up another prophet that will be an intercessor between you and God. Yes, that's right. And, and we find that Peter and Stephen quote these texts and make important applications. First of all, Morgan, how does Peter apply this text? Mm. In, in, in Deuteronomy 18.18, 18, Peter uses this when he's speaking uh, to the Jews and they knew about this. Uh, but he applies it directly to Jesus here in the context of Acts chapter 3. And he makes the conclusion that they need to repent for what they had, had done. And I'll read Acts 3 in verse 19. It says, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Yes, so accepting Jesus is the important point, mm -hmm. isn't it? How does a Stephen apply these words um, of Deuteronomy 18, 18 in Acts 7, verse 37? Well, in Acts 7, very, very, very uh, powerful chapter, we have Stephen's last speech. And, um, you know, there's 55 verses in this chapter regarding what Stephen says. And of that, around 22 of those verses deal with Moses. Yes. And um, in, in verse 37, which says, This is that Moses, which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall you hear. So here's Stephen referring to the same thing back in Deuteronomy, that God will raise up a prophet to be an intercessor between God and man. And of course, he's referring to Jesus. Yes, who had already come. Yes, yes. At that time. And it's interesting that Stephen was on trial because they said he was blaspheming against Moses and against God. And here is Stephen actually using Moses to point out that his prophecy had come true. And, and that the actual accusers were the blasphemers. Correct, yes. Yes, very good. Mm. Thank you. And let us go to... Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17 verse 6 mm. what did that Moses wanted his what did Moses want his original audience to understand mm. let me read Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 6 and it says whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses he shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness and so here Moses is making the point that discipline was to be based upon certainties, not upon one witness, but upon two or three. And this was to ensure that there would be no revenge or there would be no prejudice to influence the final decision. Thank you, gentlemen, for your participation. That's all we have time for. The New Testament is filled with direct quotes, references and allusions to the Old Testament, which included the Psalms, Isaiah and Deuteronomy in particular. And for us to get a better understanding of New Testament texts in our Bible study, it helps to first recognize and then to seek to understand how the original Old Testament source was used in its original context so that we can better understand what the New Testament author is trying to communicate to us. This is what we have tried to reveal to you in this week's lesson. 
We are glad you are with us today on Let God Speak. All our past programs can be viewed on our website, 3abnaustralia.org.au. Look for teacher's notes there if you need them. You can email us on lgs at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We hope you join us again next time. God bless. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.